Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for this morning. For this time together in your word, I thank you for your word and how you've preserved it uh, down through all these years, Lord. Um, I pray that this would be a time this morning where we would be um, ready to prepare what you have for us, Lord, um, that our hearts would be ready to receive your word today. Lord, that we might be encouraged today, that we might be challenged today. Lord, if, if need be, bring the conviction of whatever in our life needs to be confessed and forgiven, Lord. I thank you so much, and in your name we pray, amen. amen. You know, the letter of 1 John compared, uh, the letter of 2 John, excuse me, compared to 1 John, you actually, you could call it the, the first postcard of John <laughs> rather than a letter, because it's very short. It's only 13 verses. In fact, it fit on one page. Um, so I don't know how long this is going to take, so maybe we get out early today. We'll see. We'll just see. I, I thought about doing two, two, both letters, second and third, but then I thought, nah. <laughs> so let's just see what happens. We're flexible, right? Yeah, we're flexible until, until you know, uh, 10.30, and then you're like, <clears throat> <laughs> Well, um, so again, you know, just a, a quick reminder of 2 John, written by the same author as 1 John, the Apostle John himself, at this point, probably somewhere around 90 or so. Um, again, as we looked at when we, when we started the letter of 1 John, there's a little bit of discrepancy between like when he wrote it and exactly how old he was. It's, it's not really that important to know. Just know that he's an old guy at this point. In fact, he's the last living, remaining apostle by the time he writes this letter. Even Paul is dead by this point. They've all mostly been martyred. Some of them, it's hard to know for sure. Um, John actually wasn't martyred. He died of old age. Now, that's not for lack of trying. You know, the Roman emperor Domitian tried to boil him in oil um, in front of everybody, make a big show of it. But as uh, as um, history uh, tells, uh, John was put into this big cauldron in, in, this, in this Colosseum in front of everybody to be boiled in oil to death. And then they brought him out and he was not dead. And uh, history says, or tradition says, that everybody in the Colosseum got saved after they saw John come out. And I was like, man, that's a crusade that I would go to see, right? You take Greg Laurie and just dip him in a vat of oil and bring him out again, and everybody is getting saved in that place. Maybe. I don't know. So, you know what? That wasn't the end of it, though. They sent John off to the island of Patmos. They exiled him, and it was like a work, a work island. You know, it was stony and barren, and, and, um, but God redeemed that, didn't he? I'm actually thankful that John was sent to Patmos because it was on that island of Patmos that God gave John the vision that is the book of Revelation, right? And if had that not happened, maybe we wouldn't have that amazing book. But, but God what was intended for evil, God used for good, right? I think it is interesting, though, and I was thinking about this this week as I was kind of walking through, oh, John is the last 
living apostle of Christ at this time. And, and how interesting is that? Like, why did God, this is where my mind starts to go. Why did God let John live so long? Why, you know, why John? Why not some of the other guys? Why John? And, and then I started to think, well, what is it that John had to say? What was John's message? And then I realized John, God gave essentially John, God gave John the last word here. And what is the last word that John gives? What is the word? Thank you. Let's see the visual aids. <laughs> love. His entire message is love. See, in the first letter, John, we looked at God. Uh, excuse me, John. John, God, God, John, John, God. I got it. I don't got it. <laughs> in the first letter, John reminds them and us who God is. And then he reminds them and us that he loved us so much. And then he reminded them and us that when we realize that and embrace that love, we then love him back. And then they and us are able to love one another. See, God loved us, then we loved him, then we're able to love one another. Love, love, love. And we're not talking about friendship or brotherly love or family love. We're talking about agape love, Holy Spirit love, godly love, selfless, unconditional love that God says you can only have because you have the Holy Spirit, which I've given to you. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no agape love. And this is the love when we say love in the New Testament, pretty much from, from in, in especially in John's letters, that's the love we're talking about, agape love, not friendship, not brotherly love, not storge. Storge is like, like we're, we're actually family, and I love you a little more than my friends. Maybe some of them. <laughs> and so listen, I'm not trying to take away anything from the other New Testament writers or apostles, they all had really amazing things to say, but God gave John the last word of all of them, and the last word is agape, godly love. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I don't agape love it. I just really like it. Okay, so let's get into the letter. It starts off, so, so let me just remind you, like, then the way they would do letters, which is actually really makes a lot of sense, is they would say, who's writing it? Who it is to, a greeting, and then the letter. Like, if we write letters nowadays, we're like, dear Bob. <laughs> and then we don't put who it's from until the very bottom. So you got to be like, well, who is talking to me about this anyway? At that, at that time, they would, because they were scrolled up, these letters, they would put it right at the beginning. So as you unrolled the scroll, you could say, oh, this is a letter from John. Oh, it's to me. Oh, look at this greeting. I'm into it. And that's what he does. He identifies himself as the elder. Um, now, I actually think that, you know, there is an office in the church uh, or a position called elder, and some people think that John was identifying himself as an elder in the church. I happen to believe that he actually was just saying, John the elder, I'm old. I think at that point he was saying, I'm old, I have a lot of experience, listen to me. Because if he was to claim an office title, don't you think he would have used John the Apostle of Jesus Christ or John the only last living Apostle of Christ who isn't dead yet kind of a thing? Because I think he was just saying, look, I have a lot of wisdom to share. I'm old. Or, you know, like, you know, has anyone ever said to you, listen to me because I've been around a long time? John the Elder. Now it says, to the elect lady and her children. Now there's like so much conversation 
about this part to the elect lady and her children are like, well, obviously John is writing this letter to a personal friend, the elect lady. And they can even say the word elect, it actually means like, it's like a name and it's like this person he's writing to and her children whom he loves, he's going to say. And other people say, no, no, that's not it. He's actually writing this to a, a church. And at this time in the first century, the church was under persecution from Rome. And so instead of identifying a really beautiful church that was going Going on here so that the Romans could get a hold of this letter and then go and kill all the people in this church. He uses code words, the lady, the elect lady, and um, her children, so that if the letter gets intercepted, they would just think, oh, this is a personal letter to somebody. And so it's like, no, it's to a lady. It's personal. No, it's to a church. No, it's to a lady. No, it's to the church. And, and here's the thing. Does it matter? Ha <laughs> ha See, here's what happens. Endless debate. Lady, church, lady, church. What happens is when you get caught up in this debate of it's a lady, it's a church, it's a lady, it's a church, guess what you don't get to? The message of the letter. Endless debate will lead you to a place where you actually never get to what the letter says. You miss the message. Actually, that kind of endless debate will introduce you to another dangerous lady. Her name is Miss Direction. I'm marking that down because that'll be good at 11 o'clock too. (laughs) The enemy of your soul and misdirection are very good friends. They work together all the time. In fact, if the devil can get you looking in some other direction, you will never get to the message of what this is. Now, all that being said, this is what I think. And this is where I'm going to teach from this position. I happen to think that John isn't writing to a lady. I do happen to think that he is writing to a church. And there are some reasons why uh, I'll tell you as we go through. I do believe that the churches were being prosecuted, (laughs) well, later, but persecuted first. Um, And that John was using some code words to protect the church that he was writing to. But here's the thing. Could be both. Churches at that time met in homes. They didn't actually have buildings. They didn't have church buildings that they went to. And so maybe John is writing to the church and the lady whose house the church meets in. Could be both. I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of lean towards the church aspect of it. And, um, you know, you don't have to agree with me. You could leave here today convinced that John wrote a personal letter to a lady that he knew, and God thought that it was so important that he would include that personal letter from the last living apostle of Jesus Christ into the Holy Scripture, and that's fine. Go with that. (laughs) To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but all those who have known the truth. Did you know... You know, as we go through the Bible, and especially in, in these letters to John, we've looked at several words. You know, awesome is one of my favorite words, but I've kind of reappropriated awesome. It's God's word. It's not our word to use for everything. We've talked about that. Love, we talked a lot about this. Faith, we talked about last week, is faith means confidence. Confidence in what? Well, that's important to know. Confidence in Jesus. With this word, truth is another very good word to look at. It actually means reality. 
Truth means reality. In Greek, it can be translated and often is as reality, which I personally love because I wish that people really grasped the hold of that now and use those words as, um, as uh, what's that? Interchangeably um, as other words because Nowadays, we hear a lot of people saying, what's your truth? Speak your truth. Tell me what's your truth. But if they had to use the word reality instead, they would say, what's your reality? Tell me what's your reality. You sound like a crazy person when you're like, let me speak my reality. The word truth here is reality. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this and whom I I love in reality, and not only I, but also all those who have known the reality. Well, what is truth? What is the reality? The reality of what? Jesus actually answers this question himself in John 14, 6, doesn't he? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John says, uh, Jesus says that in, in, in John's gospel. Now, if you look at that verse a little bit closer, um, you could see that it's some interesting words. The, the, when he says, I am the way, it's a word that means I'm the path, all right? The path that leads some, a path goes someplace, doesn't it? There's no, no path just as like a, a patch of ground. Otherwise, it's, it's a patch, not a path, right? Paths go somewhere. So he says, I'm the path. He says, I'm the truth, which means... Reality. I'm the path. I'm the reality. I'm the life. Life is a word that means existence, present and to come. I am, and so Jesus says, I am the path. I'm the reality. I am the life, the existence now and the existence to come. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I'm the way. That's the reality to get to the Father, and the only way. I'm the only way. That's the reality. And that is what John has embraced. That's what he's been teaching. Remember last week, we talked a lot about the witness of the Holy Spirit, pointing to Jesus. The job of the Holy Spirit is to witness, of, to, witness to Jesus. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sins. Jesus is the one who rose from the grave. Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, now being in the place of payment of your sin, and he says himself, and that is the only way to the Father. That's the reality. You get it? That's the reality. That's what John is talking about. All of those, he says, all of those of us who also grasp this reality are one. We're united in that reality. And he's saying, we're greeting you. This is a really serious greeting. This isn't just like, hey, it's John. <laughs> no, there's a lot in this. He says, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. The truth, the reality, Jesus abides in us and will be with us forever. That's, that is his greeting to the elect lady, to this church that he's writing to. He's saying, we are united in our acceptance of the reality, which is Jesus Christ, the only way to the Father. In fact, he could write this same letter to us, couldn't he? Many of us sitting here, uh, I would pray that all of us sitting here have accepted the reality that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, as the Bible says. I am not making that up if you've never heard that before. I'm not making that. That's not just good preacher speak. That's right out of the Bible. Jesus says it with his own mouth. I am the only way 
to the Father. Now, verse 3, John writes this, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And so, again, he's still in the greeting part, right? Grace, mercy, and peace. This is very interesting to me because grace and peace was a very common um, greeting. Um, If you look at uh, almost all of Paul's letters, it's some version of grace and peace, grace and peace. The only time he really changes up is first and second Timothy. He writes to Timothy, and when he writes to Titus, he actually adds mercy as John has done right here, grace, mercy, and peace. And I thought, well, that's very interesting because, you know, grace was um, a common Greek greeting. When you, when you bumped into another, let's just say Gentile, you would greet them with the word charis, peace. And then you would, you know, like do this kind of like, that's hard to do on your own self, but that kind of handshake, grace, grace to you, right? Now, um, if you met, if you were a Jew and you met another Jew, you would greet them with what? Shalom, peace. That's what that means. So essentially, when you see a greeting in a letter that's written to a mixed group, you're saying grace and peace. You're covering both greetings, Greek or Gentile and Jewish, grace and peace. But look what he does. His mercy is in the middle there, right? And isn't that interesting that what unites Gentiles in the church and Jews in the church, but the mercy that God showed all of them? The mercy that said, even though you deserve hell, I've sent my son. Mercy is you did not get what you deserved to get. I've shown you mercy. And he extends mercy to everyone. Within the church, he has extended mercy, and they have all accepted it. Whether they were Greek, uh, Gentile, or Jew, they've all accepted God's mercy. And it's right in the middle of it all, isn't it? Grace, mercy, and peace. I love that. When two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst, he says. Mercy. Mercy right there. So he greets the multitude. See, he, gre- he greets this. This, uh, this is another reason why I think this isn't just a family or a woman that he's writing to, but rather a church that would be made up of Greeks, excuse me, Gentiles and Jews. Because of this greeting, he's saying, I'm greeting the Gentiles, I'm greeting the Jews, but I'm uniting you all in the mercy of God, which is Jesus Christ. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. There it is. Those are are his buzzwords right now. Truth and love. Love, truth. Truth, love. Those two things. Love, agape, godly love, and truth, the reality of that godly, unselfish love. Jesus. He says in verse 4, I rejoice joy I rejoice greatly. Did I just make up a new word? I rejoice jointly. <laughs> if you're new this is just how it goes. Sorry, it's just If you're looking for a perfect church, the moment you walked in the door it's not perfect anymore. Same for me. Same for all of you. The perfect church is yet to come. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. There's two really important points in this verse, and I love them both. One of them is this. He says that I rejoice greatly because I have found some of your children walking in truth. So I believe that what he's saying is in my journeys or in the time that I, before I wrote this letter, 
I actually ran into some of the people from your church, and they are walking in the truth. And look what it says. It makes him so happy. He rejoices greatly. He's so encouraged to see that there are some from this church who are walking out in the world in the, in the truth, in the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, it says some of your children, which leads me to think that maybe he's bumped into a few that aren't so much walking in the truth that are from this church, right? Um, and, uh, and I went through every English translation, and, um, and it all has the word some. It's, is, is some italicized in your Bible? Some? That means it's, it's not, the word some isn't in the original Greek. So I went back to the original Greek and I studied because I was like, why would every English translation, with the exception of old King James, have the word some? And here's the thing. It, the word isn't there, but the implication in the grammar and sentence structure indicates that he's not talking about, I've seen, everyone I've seen from your, well, every one of your children is walking. He's like, of, of some... It doesn't use the word some, but it implies some in the grammar, which is why every translator has put the word in some. Now, here's my point. He dwells on the some that are walking in the truth of the reality. The, the, he, he rejoices in the fact that he has um, found some who are walking. You know what he doesn't do? Dwell on those who aren't. He is rejoicing and encouraged by the ones that he sees that are doing what it is that they're called to do, following in the commandments of God. He is not obsessed with the, and being frustrated with those he sees who aren't doing what they ought to be doing. I really do like this. Um, I like the fact that he's like, you know what, I'm just going to be encouraged by those who are doing what they are supposed to be doing rather than to be overwhelmed and frustrated all the time with what I see around me not going correct. I do like that about John. I do have experience with folks that I know who are just frustrated Christians all the time. They're always frustrated with what they see going on around them. So-and-so is not doing this, and that church isn't doing this right, and what about this? And, I, and they just they walk around faces like this, like they were baptized in pickle juice. Just <laughs> no joy. The joy has been drained out by their frustration of what they see around them that is discouraging rather than being focused on the things that encourage them and those they see around them. So I'm going to do that too. I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on being encouraged by the good things. In fact, Paul, Paul will write about this in Philippians 4, 8. I really love this verse. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I love that. I especially love when he says anything that's lovely. Lovely just seems nice, doesn't it? <laughs> Meditate on those, concentrate on those, think about those things, because when you don't, you start to become sour. Meditate on those things. Love that. Oh, here's the second thing. He says, um, not that I met some or that I saw some, but I saw some and noticed that they are walking in the truth. 
Walking in the truth means that there is some forward progression in their walk, meaning in their relationship. That means that they are moving, progressing in their relationship with Christ and becoming more and more like him. It, it, It means that there is forward motion in their growth and relationship with Jesus. I really love that because we all need that. I once heard someone say that if you're not moving ahead in your relationship with Christ, you're moving backwards. It's like if you were to try, have you ever tried to walk up a down escalator? You could do it, right? You're just like, you know, you're going and you got to go a lot faster because it's going down, but you can make forward progression, right? And what happens if you stop? Yep, you go that you go backwards. You must keep going forward. I wrote a note here. No one ever says, "Do you know how many miles I stood today?" <laughs> no one does that. That's silly if you're like, "Man, I sat a marathon last weekend." <laughs> <sighs> I'm whooped. You know, Paul doesn't talk about standing still. He talks about continuing the race, pressing on forward, forward motion, going toward God, going toward God, growing in that relationship, becoming more and more like Jesus. And he'll say, as we receive the commandment from the Father, as we are told to do, not just a good idea. We are commanded to do so. We are to make forward progression towards God. Otherwise, if we're standing still, we're going backwards. He says that this is what I found. Your children walking in truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. And now, he says, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Again, he comes back to the theme that he has been talking about in the first letter, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So we are to continue to progress in our love for God, and then our love for each other. It's a continual process of growing and going. Now, verse 7, a warning. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. The word deceivers here isn't just liar. Deceiver is a liar that is trying to lead you astray. That is what this word is. This is what John is saying is that there are those who are going to come into your life, try to deceive you in order that they lead you away from Jesus, the truth. Beware. He's going to say later on, he's going to to say, "Look, look to yourselves or beware. He says that they have gone out to lead astray and uh, have gone out into this world. He says that um, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. So we know that if deceiver is someone who's going to lead you astray, and that's kind of the general term, but then he connects it to and says, this is the, the spirit of antichrist. 
It actually tells you in what way they're going to come and try and lead you astray. Remember, Antichrist doesn't mean opposite Christ. It means instead of Christ. And so what he talked about in the first letter and what he's talking about here is that someone who comes to you and tries to lead you towards another gospel, a gospel other than Jesus. He says, beware because there are many Many of those who will try to lead you astray, away from Jesus, and towards something other than Jesus. It was happening. This is the first century, by the way, right? This was, it started right from the beginning where people were coming in and saying, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, Jesus is great, but you know, we need Jesus and, and anytime you hear that, Jesus and, just la la la. La, 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 la. I was listening to Damien Kyle uh, this week. He's a great Bible teacher, and he was talking about his past experiences with Jehovah Witnesses who will come to his door. And he, and he said, well, I used to get into these big debates about, oh, like, you know, the 144,000 and the great millennial reign and, and heaven and earth and the resurrection. He goes, you know what I do now? He goes, now I just go, what do you believe in Jesus, about Jesus? He goes, right there. What do you believe about Jesus? Because I really don't have the time anymore. But what do you believe about Jesus? You know, the time is short, actually, isn't it? Time is short. We don't know how much time we have, but really that's the thing. We don't know how much time we have. So, you know what? Let's not waste time. Lady church, lady church, lady church. No, who cares? Look at the message. We don't have a lot of time. What do you believe about Jesus? Bam, right there. Jehovah Witness comes to your door or guy in a 10-speed and a white shirt and a black tie who's not selling insurance or fuller brushes. <laughs> Actually, ask those guys, too. Guy salesman comes to your door. Hey, thanks. What do, you, what do you believe about Jesus? Time is short. Why are we here anyway? Oh, the great philosophical question. Why are we here? To glorify God and to share the gospel. Pretty much it. Pretty much it right there. You know, Nope, not going there. Okay. All right, I got, I hear. He says, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Anyone that comes to you that has a message that is other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, they're a deceiver. They are a, a person who is there to lead you away from the truth, from the reality. He says to them, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. This is a, you know, this is one of those verses that the commentators that I read and listen to, they just kind of went right by it. And I was like, what? What? What are you doing to me here? So verse 9. <laughs> Look to yourself doesn't mean rely on your own strength. Okay, that can be looked at that way. It doesn't mean that. It actually just means beware. Beware. So what is this talking about? What I spent a lot of time just sitting and going, God, could you help me out here? Because, you know, what is this verse saying? That word where it says, look, look to yourself or beware that we do not lose those things we worked for. It's not that great of a translation. It's a relative pronoun, which usually is translated who, whom, or even which. Um, and so this is kind of saying, 
Um, those, those things, not things, but those who we worked for. Um, and so think about it like this. Um, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're full on, believe in the gospel, you're, you're witnessing to your family and to your friends. Every Thanksgiving you go home and, um, you know, your, your family, may maybe they don't believe, but you're there every year at Thanksgiving and you're talking to them about your faith and your church and your walk and, and God and Jesus. And, you know, they're hearing it. Maybe they don't want to. But they're hearing it, and maybe you've experienced this, like maybe over time they start to soften up a little bit, and maybe they start to receive it a little bit and over, over time. But then, but then, then you find yourself <laughs> I'm just going to read this as I wrote it. Then one year, your family finds you in the basement smoking marijuana with your cousin because he's convinced you that it's a plant, and God created a plant, and how could that be bad? Is that too specific? <laughs> What's happened to your faithful witness? You lost it. All of that work that you put into witnessing to your family, they're looking at your life and they're saying, what the, you're a hypocrite. Look at these, you know, it's when a pastor who preaches the word and preaches the word and then ends up being caught in some kind of an adulterous affair that everyone knows is wrong and all of the people sadly start falling away because their leader has fallen away. Now, that's not great. You don't follow me. You're following Jesus. I'm just talking to you from the word. But what John, I think, is saying is, be careful that you don't lose your witness. And anyone that has been coming along with you slow but sure now looks at your life and says, well, you're a hypocrite. I don't believe anything you've said. Because look at the context. He's talking about being led astray by the spirit of Antichrist. Being led away from what you know is true will affect those people who you've been witnessing as well. Because now all of a sudden, if you believe a different gospel, maybe you're going to go to those people and be like, yeah, all that stuff I told you about Jesus, you know what I just learned? It's actually Jesus and. And now you're leading them astray. In verse 9, he says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. It's very interesting, this word transgress. Do you know what it means? Go beyond the boundaries. This says, whoever goes beyond the boundaries of God does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Goes beyond the boundaries of God. See, you cannot, you can move toward God and we are called to progress towards God, but you can't go beyond God. In fact, God himself says, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. Beginning, end. There's nothing beyond God. And yet some will say, yes, you can go beyond God. Or even, it's not even, as, it's, it's subtle sometimes. So they'll be like, you know what? God loved the world so much it doesn't matter what we do. He loved us so much that we're all saved. We're all going to go to heaven. That almost sounds right. It almost sounds right because you're like, he, he, it does say that he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. So maybe that is right. And what they're saying is, oh, that's what God said. But then they're going beyond what God said. And they're saying God just loved everybody. God's love wins. Well, God's love does win, but he's very specific, isn't he? Jesus is the way to the Father. You cannot go beyond that. That's transgressing. 
right there, going beyond the boundaries that God has set up. I am the end, God says, the end. It stops with me. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Again, this is where I believe that John is talking about talking to the leaders of this church and saying, do not let anyone into your church who's going to stand in front of everybody and preach a, a message that is not the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility to you all here, to make sure that if there's someone standing up here, that they are not telling you something that is instead of Jesus, the spirit of Antichrist. I take that very serious, very seriously. It also says, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Well, that's why I take it so seriously. Because if someone up here starts, let's say we invite somebody to come in and they're standing at this podium and they start telling you some, something that is contrary to what the word says, you better believe, Cesar, Rad, somebody's getting up here and just going to drag them right out. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you would hope that we would do that, Cesar. I heard him say this morning that, that the announcements were short and sweet, and I thought, that's Cesar, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Doesn't it just sum him up so beautifully? I love Cesar. This says that you can't even greet him. Now, now <laughs> that's um, what that means is when you send them on their way, when you say, no, you're not coming into this church to talk about, you know, whatever, you know, uh, antichrist doctrine that you have. Um, he, actually, what he does say is, don't even say goodbye. Just be like, no, you're not coming in, and close the door. Did you know that the word goodbye is a shortened version of God be with ye? Did you know that? I just learned that this week. God be with ye. Ye. <laughs> well, that's a word we don't use that often anymore. <laughs> ye. God be with ye. When you say goodbye, he was saying, and it would be like we're saying, okay, God bless you and your journey to deceive others with the false gospel, God bless you. He's saying, don't even do that. Do not bless them on their journey to deceive other people. Now, does that mean that you're, you're not supposed to have your unbelieving family in your house um, for dinner or to hang out or to have coffee? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> no, no. In fact, we know that Paul says, you know, um, you're, you have to hang out with sinners because how else will they hear but this is, this is why I believe John is talking to church leaders here, and he's saying, don't allow false doctrine to be preached in your house. You know, the church, again, churches were in houses. We even call churches houses of God, right? This is the house of God. We still call it a house. We need to be sure that we're not, you know, and that's, here's the other point too. We talked about this is like, your job as you sit here, is to make sure that the things that I'm saying line up with what the word says. Remember we talked about being a Berean and going home and studying and making sure that what's said is true. So you're all on the hook too, not just me. But if you're sitting there and I start going all heretical and you're like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Now you're sharing in the evil as well. So we got to just keep all, our, all of us accountable to each other, right? Don't we? All right. In love. <laughs> 
Then he says, <laughs> I told you, it's, it was, it, told, my, it might be early today. I'm going to have to warn the Sunday school teachers at <laughs> the, the second service. <laughs> Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. And so you can hear John's heart is saying, I'm writing you this letter to help you, to warn you, to protect you. I have a lot more to say, but I'd rather say it face to face. I can't wait to come to you because it gives me such joy to be in your presence. I, that's why I love in-person church. But I'm glad we were able to put the cameras up, and some people need to be able to watch it from home. But I love church. It gives me such joy to just be with y'all. I hope you feel the same. We're going to do a big group hug later, so stick around. It's all just going to be like all of us together. First time. We've never done that. <laughs> okay, so then this seems like just the closing verse, right? And I've got like 10 minutes, so it's not the closing verse. It says, the children of our elect sister greet you, amen. Do you know what John does right there, which is so cool? Remember, if he's writing, and I believe he is, a letter in code to these churches so that if it gets picked up and read by the Romans that they won't think it's anything more than a letter, is he does this. He reminds them they are not alone right there. The children of your elect sister greet you. He's saying there are others out there like you, and they greet you also. You know why it's so important? For them at this time, they didn't necessarily feel safe gathering together because if they were found out, they could have been hauled off and even killed. Um, and so it would be easy for them to start to feel like they were the only ones, that they were all alone. You know, there's a story in 1 Kings where Elijah, after he, he um, killed all the prophets of, 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 yes, but what was that woman's name? Jezebel? Jezebel, right? That Jezebel is so ticked off <laughs> that he killed all of her priests that she said, let God kill me if I don't kill you by tomorrow noon. And so big, tough Elijah, you know what he did? He ran away. <laughs> he grabbed his servant. He was like, come on, let's get out of here. And they ran off into the woods. And then he finally ended up in this cave all by himself. And he's up there and he's like, <laughs> I'm all by myself. And God comes and like, and, well, you can read it in 1 Kings. But, but eventually, basically, God comes to him and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? That's literally what he says. What are you doing here? And Elijah's like, I killed all of her priests, and then Jezebel said you, and they called me, and I'm all by myself, and now they want to kill me too. And he goes, shut up. Not really. <laughs> what he says is, uh, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, ready to go. You're not alone. You're not alone. John says to them, I know that you may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. Oh, man. I was reading that last night before I kind of closed up and went home, and God was like, this is for y'all. I know that a lot of us are feeling alone. You're feeling alone because you live alone, or you're feeling alone because you're sitting there and you've got something going on inside and like, I just, I can't share it with anybody because they're going to think I'm weird or they're going to think I'm a pervert or they're going to think I'm addicted or they're going to think this or they're going to think that and I can't share it and that makes you feel alone and I'm telling you, you're not alone. Yes, God is always with you, but you're not alone. You're surrounded by a family who loves you. 
And so you're sitting there and like, oh, I really want to share this with somebody to just to, to get it off my chest, but I don't know, I just can't do it. And what will they think? And I'm telling you, you're not alone. First of all, you're not the only person that's dealing with that, probably. You're not the only one who's feeling like that. And you're not alone. John reminds them, you're not alone. I'm reminding you, you're not alone. There are people here who love you. There are people here who want to pray with you, who want to sit with you, who want to cry with you, who want to help you. And I'm not just talking about me and Cesar. I'm talking about the, the, the congregation, the, the family of God that is sitting in this room who love one another, who want to pray with you. And at the same time, I'm telling you that there are people who want to pray with you, who want to hear what you have to say, who want to hold up your arms and hold you up. I'm also saying that you be that person also to somebody else. I once was with a lady in the hospital, and she was not doing great. Very negative also, talking about all, all of the things that she had going on, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. Um, and then I said, how's your family? She started talking about her family and all the things that they had going on that weren't good either. And I said, hey, why don't we start praying for your family and what they've got going on? And so I took her focus off herself and I placed it on the needs of the people around her so that she could pray for and hold them up. You know, she was out of the hospital in like three days. There's a whole, there was a whole turnaround there. So you're not alone. If you are here and you're feeling like you're alone, you're feeling like, ah, the financial things going on in my life are overwhelming. Oh, and I have health issues. Oh, I'm worried and scared and afraid. Ah, there's a hurricane coming and I'm feeling alone. You're not alone. John says you're not alone. He's reminding there are those just like you. Gang, if you're here and you're feeling alone, I'm telling you that there are those here that are like you, who can help you, who can pray for you, who can hold you up. But you have to come and, and, and come in and say, I just need to talk to somebody. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? It doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody. Find somebody say, can I just share with you? I need to share with you what's on my heart. As you're not alone. The word says also that Jesus is with us all the time. Even when you are physically alone, the Lord is with you all the time. We are not alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today, for this uh, postcard from John, Lord. Now, thank you for the direction that you give us, the things that you remind us of, Lord, that you're the path the reality and the, and the essence of life. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's feeling alone, whether it's geographically alone, Lord, whether they feel like they're spiritually on an island, Lord, whether they're emotionally overwhelmed with their life and the situations around them, Lord, please help them to grasp hold of the fact that they are not alone. And just as John told the elect lady and those in her house, that there are others just like them who are praying for them, Lord. Help us to grasp a hold of that as well. Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, I do pray about this uh, oncoming storm, Lord. Lord, I'm reminded as I hold on to this Hurricane Irma podium that you are mightier than the sound of many waters, Lord. I 
hold on to that, Lord. I hold on to the fact that you are in control, that the wind and the waves obey your voice. Lord, and if you allow it to come, that there's purpose behind it. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.